What's up, everyone? This is episode number 34 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as you guys know, it's been a busy week in the NBA and then, of course, the hobby as well. People are still hunting for Prism Draft. People are still hunting Immaculate. I even tried my luck with a Pacers group break because I'm still, even though I'm not a big group breaking fan, I am still chasing those Pacers patches. Uh, I believe I share the results on my social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast. My Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. I'm really excited about today's episode, but before I get to the main feature, I'd like to chat about a few things. First off, I recorded last week's episode, and, and pretty much the moment I hit publish, you know, I just talked all about Zion and how I was looking forward to his debut. Well, then we got the news that he was going to sit out on opening night with a knee injury. Not long after that, then we find out that he's torn his meniscus. And at this point, when that happened, it seemed like everyone online became a doctor. Oh, he's out of shape. Oh, you know, oh, it's not that big of a deal. I, you know, I've torn my meniscus before. It's like people, everyone was an expert then, right? Well, I'm not a doctor. We do know that he has some injury history. He is young. I think the Greg Oden comparisons are a little ridiculous. Oden had, you know, a wrist injury at one point in college. Um, His posture was all jacked up, right? There was a lot of hip, leg, back type of stuff. That's not what we have here. So to make that comparison, you know, even though they're just saying, yeah, it's an injury-prone big man that was really hyped up, that's not really fair. Um, Either way, though, the fact that Zion's injured, it does affect our hobby. I Look, I would never wish an injury on anyone I'm not happy that he's hurt. Um, It will, though, it will probably cool things off a little bit. And there are probably some people out there that are a little more hesitant to chase his stuff. Maybe this will turn more attention to some of the other promising rookies in the draft. You know, Zion might not even be healthy enough to win Rookie of the Year. I talked about hoops on my last episode. I'm curious to see if this drops the presale a little bit, but only time will tell. And that's something we're just going to have to stay tuned and keep watching. Another thing that I want to talk about real quick, and thanks to the listener that pointed me to this conversation because I don't normally listen to the show, but the uh, the Breaker Culture podcast has Jeremy Murray um, from Beckett Grading on this week's episode. I listened to some of it on the way to work today, and they talked about some of the recent scandals. So it was good. It was nice to hear from the company in some capacity. Um, now, at one point, Jeremy did say that there was... No way to know if a patch was being swapped out. Obviously, I don't agree with that. You know, I've showed you how they could have detected the curry with a little bit of Googling. Uh, in fact, they're more than welcome to use the trackers that I've created for free. I'm not charging for them. Well, he also alluded to some databases that are, that are being set up with pictures. So that's good. And he mentioned them possibly logging serial numbers and flagging submissions that come through so many times. And I want to get some more clarification from him about that. So I did make a few phone calls this afternoon. Um, I left a few messages. I wasn't able to get a hold of them just yet, but that just happened. So I want to give him some time to get back to me. If all of that is true, though, okay, if they are actually logging serial numbers now, um, you guys, I'm talking to you, the listeners, You've worked hard to email them, to tag them, to let your voices be heard. There were people out there that tried to tell you that your efforts were wasted and you weren't going to reform anything. Well, progress happens in small increments sometimes. And if what Jeremy said is true, you guys did it. 
Okay, so kudos to you. Your voice matters. Your persistence matters. You put yourself out there and you let yourself be an agent for change. Now, I'm going to try and clarify with Jeremy to see what all is happening, but people are aware. Great job, guys. Thank you. Okay. Um, All right. So moving into today's main feature, I'm really excited about this one. I had a conversation with a player collector. And before I play that for you, I want to talk about that term and that, that concept real quick. Um, I collected in the 90s as a kid, but I really got serious about the hobby in the early 2000s. I've talked about that on previous episodes, but um, at the time, player collecting was kind of a way to forge an identity in the collecting world. And people would, um, they'd log on Beckett and they'd get checklists of all their players' cards. They'd put them on Excel or they'd put them on Word. They built websites. They posted on forums. Um, You know, eBay was up and running by then, so they're constantly searching on there. And this was really before everything was kind of um, paralleled to death, for lack of a better term. And now that changed, that started to change some with the top's finest sets. It wasn't just a, a Panini thing, even though now Panini's taken it to the next level. You look at Prism, there's 37 or 38 different parallels. Well, at one point in the early 2000s, Topps Chrome, uh, depending on the year, had like three to four basic parallels. We didn't even have a super fractor until 2004. And that's kind of how it was with most sets. So it was possible to super collect a player to get everything. And if you look at the forum archives or older Beckett magazines, you'll see people showing these super collections off. But things have changed a lot since then. And I know some people, like I said, they blame Panini. If you look at some of the Topps baseball stuff now, though, um, my initial impressions, and you know, I'm not a baseball guy primarily, but I, I think if they had the basketball license, they'd be doing the same thing. They'd be creating a lot more parallels than they used to. Um, so now it's almost like if you're going to play or collect, you have to choose. Either you go for all of the really high-end cards of a player and have quality over quantity, or you go for all the lower stuff and focus more on the numbers while still having you know a quality collection, but you're, you're focusing kind of more on quantity. Um, I respect the people that are out there that are chasing everything now. It seems like it would be very stressful. Well, today I'm going to play a conversation that I had with a Ron Harper collector named Mark. And the cool thing about Ron Harper and collecting him is that he has a good mix of 90s stuff and then he has some Panini stuff as well. But he's not in every Panini set. So it gives Mark a chance to breathe a little bit and catch up. And then in between sets, Mark has a chance to work on some projects that he's come up with. That's what we're going to look at today. I really enjoyed our chat. I hope you guys enjoy it as well. Okay, for those of you that have been in the hobby for a while, you know that um, it's helpful to have friends that are in the hobby as well. And and, um, a lot of times those friends will come online. Maybe you meet them at a card show or meet them at the National. It's good to have these people. If you don't have them, you need to find them. Um, you know, let's face it, if, if I didn't have those kind of people, I would probably drive my wife crazy talking about this stuff. Well, I've got one of those friends on the show today, and his name is Mark. So first off, Mark, glad to have you here. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your collecting background, what you collect now, you know, anything of that sort. 
Yeah, so um, I my name's Mark, like like you said, and I've been uh, on the forums now for a while. I go under the name Harper, uh, and I've been collecting Ron Harper for a while. I started collecting back in kind of the mid '90s, around 1995. I grew up in Central Illinois, so of course I was a huge Bulls fan. Uh, but I I missed the first Bulls threepeat, uh, and I kind of got into them right after Jordan retired the first time. So Ron Harper kind of joined the team around. Around that time and I, I kind of took it as my opportunity to start collecting him and then when they had their second three-peat and they were the most winningest basketball team at the time kind of a lot of his cards started to uh, get some notoriety as well uh, you know after the the Jordans and Pippins and Rodmans um, and so that kind of helped me find some of those cards but most of my collecting back then was just at card shows at local card shops And then kind of in the early 2000s, probably around 2001, 2002, I I kind of fell out of collecting. I took about a 10-year break where I was in school and starting my career. And then around 2012, uh, I kind of had more disposable income and I was helping move some of my stuff out of my parents' house. And I saw my old Ron Harper cards and I said, hey, I wonder if I can find some of those cards that I could never find back then now. So I jumped on eBay and I found a lot of a lot of those cards that I could just never find. I found them pretty quickly and then uh, found places like sports lots and check out my cards and was really able to fill a lot of the the remaining gaps that I had in, in kind of my older PC. Uh, and I also noticed that there's this new company around Panini that started cranking out some newer cards of him that were kind of cool because he didn't have a lot of patch cards back in the, the late 90s. And, and even the serial number cards that he had, he wasn't as popular as those other guys. So he wasn't in a lot of those sets. So I was collecting uh, for a couple of years, probably by 2014, 2015. A lot of the cards that were on my want list had kind of dried up and I wasn't I wasn't seeing as many cards to buy. And so I had to start finding new ways to kind of keep, keep myself invested in the hobby because I really enjoyed it. But a lot of the enjoyment for me was waiting for those cards to come. And so that's when I started picking up more of the jersey numbered cards, looking for graded cards, picking up some duplicate cards so that I could do some of my own grading submissions and then trying to get some some duplicate patch cards uh, just because each one of those cards looked unique. Okay. Now, to say that you're a Ron Harper collector, I feel like um, you're being modest. I feel like it's kind of an understatement here because your pursuit of finding car- Harper cards really takes it to the next level because now, you know, like you mentioned, you, you had to get creative. So really you, you, you had no choice but to evolve here. It's not as simple as logging on eBay or Facebook or blowout and saying, hey, does anyone have any rare Ron Harper cards? And in fact, I think you have one of the most satisfying examples of chasing an obscure card or an obscure parallel and actually finding it that I've ever seen. And uh, you know, you probably already know what I'm going to talk about here, but that's your 1999-2000 Tops MVP promotion Ron Harper parallel. Can you tell us a little bit about that set and then your pursuit of it? Uh, yeah, sure. So over the last couple of years, things have started to really slow down in my ability to add new cards um, to the collection. Uh, I, I'll maybe find about one card a month that I don't already own. And so I, 
you know, back when I was a kid, I used to love busting boxes. And, and I kind of, when I got back into collecting, I started doing that much less often because I, I had all of these resources on the internet where I could just go and buy the card that I wanted rather than break a box and hope that I'm going to get a card that I want. And, and I, I did kind of keep my PC very um, focused. And so a lot of times, even if I were to bust a box, I'm really only looking for Ron Harper cards. And then after that, I just have a bunch of cards that I don't really know what to do with. Um, but once I started uh, just having that that short list of cards that I needed and, and not seeing any of the cards for sale for five plus years, and in a lot of cases, not even seeing a, a picture of a card uh, on WorthPoint, any any kind of hint that the card ever existed, um, I, I decided that I was going to start busting some boxes. And I started with more of the lower end stuff, but I kind of justified it to myself that, you know, I've, I've been on these hobby boards. I've been meeting a lot of other people that are chasing different things. And even if I don't find a rare Ron Harper card, if I find a rare Tony Kukoc or a rare uh, Ronnie Brewer or Rodney Rogers or, or any of those other guys who who collect uh, seriously a single player, it would be really cool to be able to help them out. So um, I kind of made myself a personal goal of trying to bust about five boxes a year. And within a year, I, I had a pretty good hit. Um, so this was last December. I had, I think, three hobby boxes of tops. And I, I was really just hoping to hit an MVP promo. That first year of MVP promo, uh, 1999, 2000, a lot of people need that card for their for their player collection. And all, all three years are really tough to find, but that first year, for whatever reason, seems to be the toughest. Uh, so I bought uh, a couple boxes um, and me and my wife were opening them together. And in the very last pack of the last box, I was flipping through and uh, there it was, the Ron Harper. It was the first Ron Harper I had ever seen. I was, I, my wife didn't know what had happened. I just kind of freaked out um, and she wanted to see it. I was like, no, we need to put this in a, in a one touch or a, a top loader right away. And then I let her see it. But uh, yeah, that was um, unreal. The odds were really stacked against me. And I, I was just, I think the, the pack odds were something like one in 336 just to hit an MVP promo. And there's over 100, 100 different cards in the set. And so uh, the odds of hitting that Ron Harper were really minuscule. And just um, kind of some background on that promo. It, they look just like the base set except on the front they have a, a gold stamp that says, uh, well, let me see, I got one right in front of me here. It says Tops MVP Promotion. And so the front looks the same except for that. So a lot of times these will get mixed in with lots of base cards. People probably threw them away. Um, the understanding, even though they're not serial numbered, is that there's only 100 of these. So, you know, people are throwing these away. They're getting lost in the shuffle. Um, and then on the back, it's like a form that you fill out. And if, if that player um, achieves, what was it, a certain feat or they had to win the, you know, a, an award that week or something, you could send it in and redeem it. So the, you know, the really good players, um, those, even the ones that were pulled, a lot of those had been turned in already. So if you got a, a player you're looking for, you know, the odds are there's much less than 100 and they're tough to find. Um, you know, you can even you can find some of them out in the wild. So the odds of Mark getting not only a MVP promo, like he said, but getting the promo of his player 
I wish I could explain it even better. Could it? It's just it's incredible. It's hard to fathom that you got that. So that was. Would you say that's probably your top uh, Ron Harper poll ever? Oh, absolutely. So now Mark and I, we it's interesting. We talk about MVP promotion cards a lot because as he was, I remember, you know, he told me he was looking for this one. Um, I like to look for them as well. I like to kind of dig around for Pacers cards. I was at card shows looking for these. I found a Kobe in a dollar box at a card show mixed in with, it was like a whole like section of 1999 tops that had like bricked together. Well, I was that guy that sat there and peeled them all apart and then there was a Kobe in there. So they are out in the wild. Um, and most of the time, the people selling them don't even know what they have. So they're going to be a lot of times in your base boxes or your quarter boxes. But I never tracked down any Pacers. I never tracked down any Harper. Um, but it's interesting that over the years, Mark and I, our players or our teams are kind of in a lot of the same sets, whether it's MVP promotion from 1999, whether it's the finals jersey cards from um, the night from uh, 2000, because I was a Pacers fan. That was their one NBA finals Ron Harper was on the Lakers then. And then Flawless Patches. You guys have seen that. I'm really into the Flawless Patches. Well, Ron Harper has been included in several of the Flawless sets. And those of you that know me, you know that I love finding source material for retired player relics. And I posted a few threads about it on Blowout before. In fact, I recently showed a Kevin Garnett shoe card on my Instagram that I tracked the source material down for. Uh, So at one point, Mark and I were looking for the Harper source material and I discovered that it was a set of Bulls warm-ups. So I gave this information to Mark. He took the source material, and then he took it a step further with something that he called his patch puzzle. So now that I've got him here, uh, Mark, can you explain to us what is your patch puzzle project? Is this another way you kind of take Ron Harper collecting further? And let us know what that project entails. Right. Well, so that that project was actually kind of inspired by you because of a lot of the detective work that you do. And, and you know, we have a lot of these um, patch question uh, threads pop up on Blowout where people are like, hey, I have this patch. It looks really cool, but I have no idea where it comes from. Um, and being able to find the exact place on the jersey where it comes from, I think, is really, really neat. It, it lets you kind of know your card better. Um, and so based on some of the threads that, that you've commented and you've kind of shown people where the patch comes from, it made me really want to know, okay, well, where, where is this part of my card? Where is that in the actual Jersey or in the team logo or on the nameplate? And so, uh, I, I have been picking up a lot of kind of duplicate patches because uh, things had been kind of slow and there was nothing else to kind of catch my interest. Uh, and I, I kind of wanted to see, you know, can I spell Harper doesn't have a, like a letterman uh, set. He doesn't have something where you actually can pick up all the letters in his last name. But I wanted to see, I thought that I might have a decent amount of the part of his last name just based on the patches that I had. And so I I found out a way to use Photoshop to kind of make a, a background of where the different patches should go. And then I, I kind of cut and pasted all the scans that I had of my cards and tried to see where I could fit them onto the puzzle. And so I that was something that I just thought was a lot of fun. I think that, you know, it's important to be able to find ways to enjoy this hobby without spending money. Uh, you know, I could easily have said, OK, well, I'm running out of Ron Harper cards to pick up. I'm going to start picking up Scotty Pippen cards or I'm going to start picking up Luol Deng cards or some other bull that I enjoy watching. But with that comes 
a lot of potential financial burden if you're planning on spending a significant amount of money on these players and not just picking up a card here or there. And so I really like doing things like the the patch puzzle so that I can enjoy my cards. It's, it's completely free. Uh, I think it's kind of cool for other people to see too. And yeah, I, I spent probably on a weekend five or six hours doing that and free entertainment. Okay, that's something interesting. I like how can we keep this hobby interesting and enjoyable without spending any more money? I think that's something that all of us could really learn from. So you actually have another project that you've done recently that you've been telling me about. uh, And I think you posted about it on the, the blowout forums as well. And this is a set that Ron Harper's in. And it's one that I've kind of alluded to earlier because there are some pacers in it as well. Um, it's the 2000-2001 Topps uh, final piece NBA Finals jersey set. And what you're trying to do is, is you're trying to figure out a print run for a card that isn't actually serial numbered on the card. It's kind of funny for those of you that are, are listening at home. Mark sent me a message this week asking me, you know, hey, have you ever considered talking about um, reverse engineering to figure out a print run on the show? And uh, it kind of blew me away. I'm like, no, I haven't but I'm interested. So you need to be the guy to do that. So Mark, first off, I appreciate you coming on and doing that and telling us about your projects here. Tell us a little bit about this set and this project that you've just started. Right. So the first off, the reverse engineering that I was talking about, I've I've done that with a couple of the sets from the late uh, 90s and early 2000s. Um, as long as you have pack odds for different inserts and you have at least one insert that has a pack odds that's serially numbered, uh, you can get an approximation of how many cards are in an insert set. So, for example, if you have a, uh, a base set that's serially numbered to 100 and the odds of getting any one card is one in 100 packs, then you can use that information to say, okay, well, there's a hundred cards of each player. There's a hundred cards in the set and they're falling at one in a hundred uh, packs and estimate, okay, well, there's about uh, a million packs then. And then if you have any other set odds, say you have an insert that's one in 2000 packs and you have uh, the set has 25 cards, then you can divide that million by the 2000 by the 25 and you can get an approximate print run of that insert. So I've done that with a lot of the cards. Uh, I think the 2000, 2001 Topps Chrome Refractors, you can do that on because the rookies that year were serially numbered. Um, I've done it with some of the other uh, gold label jerseys, but with the sets like tops, they didn't have enough information for me to do that for the finals piece set. Uh, if if you have a, something that's just a hobby release or just a retail release, then you can do that, that kind of reverse engineering math to try to figure out how many cards are in a set. But when you have multiple, when you have something that has a release that's the home team advantage or jumbo, the um, retail and the hobby that all have different pack odds, it makes it, it makes it much more difficult to kind of reverse engineer a print run. Um, when I was going through my cards, I have a, I think I have like three or four of the Topps Final Piece Ron Harper cards, and I noticed the, the authentication sticker on the back that Topps puts on there. 
all four cards were within a 50 range. Uh, so the serial number is like a six or seven digit number, but all of them fell within a 50 point range. And two of them were actually sequential. I had one that ended in 199 and one that ended in 200. And so I, I thought, hey, they probably use sequential stickers on all the same players before they went on to the next player. And so I started looking, trying to find if other players were kind of fitting in the same pattern. And I found that the vast majority of them are. I have, I think, 50 cards in this database now. I think only one of them's an outlier that's not fitting with the rest. And that could just be because I misread the serial number based on kind of glare and how, how good the image was of the images that I'm finding online. And so right now it's looking like there's about 200 of these final piece cards. And one of the other reasons that I was kind of motivated to learn about this is because I had the final piece Chrome to 25 and the final piece Chrome Refractor to 10 before I even had the base card. I missed out on the base card a couple of different times because I thought it that I should be able to get it for the, about the same price as the there's a gold label jersey finals jersey that year and there's a top stars final jersey that year and oftentimes for Ron Harper those cards are selling around 10 bucks. Uh, I was losing out on the finals piece card for 20 25 bucks. It, it kept going over my max bid and I was surprised but uh, they really are uh, more scarce than those other inserts. The top stars I think I've uh, estimated the print run at 275. Uh, for each of the different jersey types because Lakers have home and away. And then for the gold label, I have uh, an estimate of around 650 of each one of the jersey types for the Lakers players. So 200 versus a combined 275 plus 275 for star and 1,200 for gold label is makes those cards much more scarce. Um, and it's interesting. This was kind of a unique situation because those uh, certification stickers – that were on the backs of those tops cards. They didn't do that every year, and I haven't seen other companies do that since. And it was kind of like the perfect storm for you being able to do this. So you said you you figured out that they're about two hundred apart. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I think there's about two hundred uh, from kind of the different analysis that I've done so far. And I've had a lot of people that have been really helpful in kind of hooking me up with serial numbers of cards. And and without their help, I wouldn't have been able to make the progress that I made. Um, had a bunch of people on Blowout reach out to me. I know you you had some. Uh, fellow Pacers fans that you reached out through Instagram were able to hook us up with some numbers. Uh, Dewan Wagner actually hooked me up with some some cards that he sent me for free, which was really cool of him. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I was able to get a lot of the information and knowing kind of one of the early numbers in the range and one of the last numbers in the range, I know that there's at least 180 of each player. Um, and based on the fact of, of when kind of the cut points are and where players are changing position in the numbering, I can tell that there's over 200. Uh, I think it's somewhere around 200, but I'll only know kind of for certain once I get more information you know, a lot of the analysis that I've done so far is working under the assumption that all of the players have an equal number of cards. I don't know if that's a safe assumption or not. Um, you know, John Sally's jersey was probably a lot bigger than than Derek Fisher's jersey. <laughs> uh, and then you also have players like AC. Yeah, Shaq. And, and AC Green, uh, there's a lot of rumors that his cards were short printed. I don't know if they didn't get as many jerseys of his or, or what the holdup was, but uh, I know it's not just rumor because there's some sets, I believe it's gold labeled, that the, the pack actually says that the odds are different for him. Um, 
And I don't know if that holds true for all of the finals jerseys that year, um, because there was the gold label set, there was the stars set, and there was the tops and tops chrome sets. Um, so maybe they they got the same amount of AC green jerseys as everybody else for for the top set, but then didn't have enough for the other ones. I don't know. Right. And as you mentioned in there, you've had several people help you out. This is a a, a really a prime example that one person in this hobby can't be responsible for having all this knowledge or accumulating all this knowledge or, you know, kind of keeping all of this for history. It's really a collective effort. And even if you weren't around when cards were produced, sometimes just having cards and having access to a little bit of information could be a missing piece for something that someone else is working on. So even if you, you know, if you don't initiate any of these projects on your own, always be on the watch for something like this because there's a good chance that you can contribute and, you know, you can help the hobby in that way. And um, that kind of leads into another thought here. One thing that I really enjoy about talking to Mark, um, you know, we collect similar sets, but he thinks differently than I do. You know, that's a good thing. Even though he's not an engineer by trade, his mind sort of thinks in that way. And this is an example of someone taking their skills or their talents or their interest or whatever and offering this up for the good of the hobby. Um, I've said this in previous episodes. I think Mark said it earlier. You need to find ways to enjoy the hobby on your own terms. And Mark's an excellent example of that. I love the way he pursues Ron Harper cards and then also how he pursues information around these cards. Um, One more kind of talking point here. We were talking about a print run on a card from the year 2000. You mentioned earlier in the episode that this could also be done for a more current release. People have done this with Silver Prisms, and they've also done this this with Galactics. Yeah, I think, you know, this is, for me, it's fun just to have that knowledge. But I think that it also has value to the hobby because, uh, especially now with kind of the difference, I think a prime example is uh, silver prisms versus the optic hollows. Now, these aren't cards that I really invest in. I don't really know a lot about them, but I've read enough on Blowout to know that uh, it seems like the optic hollows are a lot more uh, rare than what the prism silvers are. If you have enough information on insertion rates of inserts or serial number cards, you can still use that mechanism to potentially figure out uh, print runs of them. And I think that can help you know how, how scarce a card really is, because that's one of the main things that helps determine value. You know, there's the aesthetics of the card itself and then also the scarcity. And so I think that it's important that we kind of help determine scarcity on our own rather than just listen to what other people are saying about how scarce something is, because I think that that's something that helps lead to more of price manipulation. So in other words, do your own research, right? Yeah. All right. So, um, Mark, I really appreciate everything that you brought for us today. You've given me a lot of stuff to think about in, in regard to print runs and, um, how I collect and, and, you know, I, I always feel like, Hey, I need that next fix. You know, I, I like getting cards in the mailbox. Well, what can I do to enjoy my cards Um, the ones I already have are to enjoy this hobby for free. So I appreciate you bringing that to the table today. Before I let you go, um, I want to give you a chance to plug, you know, whatever you want, your social media, your Flickr, anything you want to talk about. And then the very last thing, I want you to give us a list of your five most wanted Ron Harper cards right now. Maybe we can help you track some of these down. 
so I don't have a huge social media presence. I, I'm on Blowout most frequently. Uh, my handle is Harper. Um, I am on Instagram. My name is M-D-M-I-L-L-E-2. I'm not, not super original. That's just my uh, handle that I had when I was an undergrad. And then on Flickr, I do have an account. I think I'm Harper Collector 9 um, So feel free to follow me on any of those. My top five cards. So I guess I'll talk about my whales. So my top card that I'm looking for is the 1998-99 Metal Gem Master, one of one. Uh, Harper didn't have too many one of ones from his playing days. He only had four, but that's probably the one that I, I would most want to add to my collection. The next one on my list is the 1997-98 Ultra Masterpiece. Uh, I think that's the most aesthetically pleasing card of Harper. It's awesome. It's taken, he's playing the jazz. It's during the playoffs. Uh, I love the kind of the raised surface, uh, the, the silhouette that he's in, the grayed out background. I just think it's an awesome card. I love the ultra sets when I was a kid and, and this card really doesn't disappoint. I have it, the platinum version in, in 9.5 and that's one of my favorite cards, even though it's not one of my more rare cards. It looks just like the the platinum on the front. The back just says only 101 masterpiece. Uh, so I know a lot of people don't aren't really excited about that one, but for me, it's one of my dream cards. I unfortunately about a year ago missed out on the only Chicago Bull logo man card. It sold while I was sleeping. Uh, that's that's definitely on my list too. And then he has a quad auto. Um, I think it's 2010, 2011, or 2011, 2012. That was in National Treasures with Kukoc, Rodman, and Phil Jackson, number to two. That's uh, probably the, the next one on my list. And then after that, it's kind of a, a big way tie with a lot of different cards. Uh, probably the next one up, though, would be uh, he had a, a logo man uh, in Gala one year. Uh, where he was with the Clippers. So that would probably be number five. All right. And then you're always looking, I'm assuming you're still looking for more flawless patches, even duplicates. As you mentioned earlier, that you're getting duplicates of those. Um, and then also, you know, as with anyone that player collects, if you have something that you think he might want, or that's jersey numbered or whatever, at least reach out to him. You know, the worst he can say is no. And I don't want to speak for you, but I'm I'm assuming that's correct. Yeah, so I, I'm looking for uh, 90s duplicates of serial numbered stuff or really rare stuff, oddball cards uh, that, you know, oftentimes I don't even know that I, I'm missing until somebody calls, you know, sends me a message and says, hey, have you ever seen this card? Uh, so if you got something that looks really odd or kind of out of the mainstream type of stuff, definitely uh, look me up. Jersey numbered stuff, I like to grade, um, so graded cards. Uh, and then Panini stuff, I normally don't pick up duplicates unless it's really low, print run like less than 10, or if it's a, a patch card um, that I can kind of work uh, into my puzzle project, then I, I'd like to pick those up too. All right. Well, hopefully we can help you find some of those. Mark, thanks again. Um, and uh, I'll be talking to you soon. All right. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Bye. Okay. Thanks once again to Mark for taking the time to chat with me this week. I'll make sure to post pictures of some of Mark's work and some of his collection on my Instagram, which once again is at Wax Museum Podcast. If Jeremy Murray from Beckett contacts me, I'll try to pass some of that information on as well. Um, today, Mark talked about projects that help him enjoy the hobby without spending money all the time, and I'd love to hear from you guys now. 
What do you do to keep the hobby interesting? How can you enjoy the hobby without constantly spending money? Please let me know. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or Google Play. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Podcast.